0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Film Fives, the podcast where Phil and I, my co host and I, count down our top fives in any given subject, whether it be genres, decades of music, directors, actors, whatever it may be. And here we are again to do our latest subject, James Cagney. Hello, Phil. How are you doing? What do you hear? are you here? What, what do you say? What are you here? What do you say? Hey, big <laughs> and good looking. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yep, it's uh, Cagney tonight. I've been enjoying this. I, I, I'll be honest, I'd not seen a single one of his films before, about six weeks ago. Uh, and, wow. Uh, yeah, I've in- well,
0: indulged. Uh, but if you continue not to, I would have said, don't be a sucker. Not that he's got a load of right. catchphrases running. Mm. <laughs> and so on and so forth. Right, yes, indeed. We're doing James Cagney. I have seen loads of his films over a number of years, and... But not for quite a long time, and I've really enjoyed reliving them, watching them all again, all of the big ones anyway. Yeah. And um, I think, as we were saying just off air, I reckon we'll probably end up with quite a lot of the same in our top fives because he's got famous films that really do hit the peaks. They're yeah, probably definitely. likely to feature. Yeah. But, um, yes, um, Phil, you've you, you've been uh, discovering him for the first time. So um, I'm going to get it's you... It's an interesting
1: and eclectic CV that he has, Yes. Um, tap dancing and machine guns—the <laughs> yeah. winning
0: combination. That's what all yeah, that exactly. Is. So it's we're moving
1: between musicals and gangsters, <laughs> and the old kind of comedy or something different. Yeah. Putting all robcom here and there. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, it's but it, yeah, it's been it's been really interesting. What well, I quite like is watching quite a lot of the, a lot of the, the really older films, and it's you know, so you, you forget how many kind. Of, much kind of history happened while a lot of these films were made so you kind of see in a lot of them things like prohibition wars starting and wars finishing and people coming back from them and all of that kind of thing it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's a different kind of film than you get now and it's been really interesting
0: excellent and um sorry i'm just uh realizing i've got a i'm having some technical difficulties so i'm just re resetting myself with a charger for my uh my uh, device for this evening, which hopefully will uh, now be sorted. Um, good slight adjustments going on. I do apologise, um but yeah, it's, it's it's good. I really love it when we do these ones where you haven't you haven't covered it yourself before. Yeah, that's quite so, a lot. Yeah, I get I get to discover uh, how you how you are reacting to all these things. It's great. I mean, with Cagney, I mean he's he's considered by many to be one of the greatest actors of all time awesome awesome awesome
1: wells yeah he said maybe the greatest actor who ever appeared in front of a camera oh yeah and he's someone who knows a bit about
0: acting absolutely exactly um well you stole my quote there phil nice one But no, he's yeah, he's famously um, a sort of celebrated how great an actor he is, and he certainly has got the uh, all the talent. Um, as you've discovered him and you've, you've been doing your research, what have you found out? Though well, actually, before we do that, what are you drinking, Phil? Just so on. I know. am.
1: I'm starting off this beautiful evening uh, on the Innocent Gun Caribbean Rum Flask uh, Scottish Red
0: Beer. Yep, yeah. and it's good. So there you go. Well, I'm having what I think <laughs> is a is an actually quite a nice pills now, but I've got absolutely no idea who the company is. It's a brewery in Penge, who my friends um who who make a fanzine for Brighton and Hove Albion football club uh, supporters, um and they've had it packaged in their own uh, their own um, designs. So I all I've got is Dogma written on here. Um, which is the name of their fanzine, but it's not the name of the beer itself. No idea what I'm drinking at the moment, but this is lovely. I've got some Belgian ones lined up for afterwards. Oh, fantastic. And I shall enjoy drinking those while I listen to what you've got to say about James Cagney. So a, a
1: brief introduction. So James Cagney, born in Manhattan in 1899, the second of seven children, two of whom his siblings died as babies. He was a sick infant mainly due to the poverty that he grew up in, and his uh, father died in the 1918 uh, Spanish flu pandemic. He tried a variety of jobs uh, before he became a scenery boy for a Chinese pantomime. He had no interest whatsoever in performing, but one night his uh, brother, Harry, was ill, and he stood in for him because he knew all the lines. And before he knew it, he was appearing in stuff. So in 1920, he got a role in a musical. And from there, he did 10 years of uh, vaudeville and Broadway, marrying, marrying a uh, fellow performer, Francis Billy Vernon, in 1922. One day, uh, one play he was in was uh, sold to Warner Brothers in 1930, with the stipulation that Cagney play a stage character in a film called Sinner's Holiday, which I have not seen and I don't even know if he's available. Um, He played a a tough guy who became a killer, but generated uh, sympathy due to his unfortunate upbringing. So there were lots of good reviews, and then offers of other gangster films came in, and I think that'll
0: do for now. Yes, indeed, yeah. He's synonymous for uh, a a swathe of gangster films, really. The Public Enemy, 1931, Angel With Dirty Faces, 38, Roaring Twenties, 39, And uh, white heat that he made a lot later when he reprised his old gangster roles. I'm sure we'll talk about those amongst other things later on. But also, uh, you've alluded to it already: machine guns and tap tap dancing. He, yeah, he had the talent. He had the he he had
1: that broad uh, sort of Broadway vaudeville background, didn't he? So he obviously grew up in musicals, and he was you know quite happy to, uh, to to appear in musicals as well. I think he did a few of them.
0: Yeah, yeah, most notably Yankee Doodle Dandy, but he did Footlight Parade and various other ones, um, where, yeah, he's uh, he's, he's uh, tapping into that kind of um, background that he had. Very quick-footed, amazing, very light-footed, very oh, energetic, yeah. well, as were all his performances, whether it be musical-related or otherwise. Um, he gave he, a kind of really captivating presence on screen. And you know, as we'll t- talk about a lot during these films that we're going to review, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't sort of played down his Irish Americanness um, as well. It seems a bit, it was kind of very ostensibly mentioned in the gangster films, yes. which obviously were set in poverty-stricken New York, rough side of town, uh, Italian, yeah. uh, sorry, um, Irish American uh, neighborhoods. And, um, they kind of play up to that, don't they? They're not oh, shy. Definitely. And he's one of, um, one of the set, really, the Irish-American set, along with Spencer Tracy and also Pat O'Brien, who appears in a number of films. Yeah, he
1: was one of his best friends, wasn't he? I think they, yeah. they knew each other for decades and decades and decades and yeah. were friends
0: for life. And they, they all hung around together, um, particularly Pat O'Brien with Cagney. Yeah, and that's that's the backdrop to this. So uh, some great films. Um, I I can't help thinking, and maybe this, this could have been something for reflection at the end, but I can't help thinking I could have done more with him as well. It feels as if his, his range and his capability were. Well, I, I mean, he, he retired sort of in his early 60s. Yeah.
1: Um, and I think, and then he kind of he'd had enough. And then I think um, he got about 20 years later when he was in his early 80s, he had a stroke and he got called back to kind of do one last film as a kind of way of helping him kind of yeah. get get better again. So that was the film though, Ragtime by Milos Foreman. Um, that that obviously proved to be his last film.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, um, without any further ado, should we get into the uh, the first part of our countdowns? We'll do yes. our our fives and our fours. We'll see how long that takes us, and then we'll have a break somewhere either there or after our our ones after that. Um, now, it's it's going to be a matter of order with some of these things. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm kind of half expecting us to have the same top five. We shall see. <laughs> yeah. Well, at number five. I've gone for the first of his famous gangster films, The Public Enemy. I've gone for that number five as well. There we go. <laughs> this could get quite repetitive. We'll see. Well, let, yes. me, let me start. Let me start. So it's William Wellman, uh, a very competent, very solid director of uh, many films, really good efforts. This is a film which really started to mark uh, James Cagney's card for his gangster roles. It, it set yes. him up Um I think it feels appropriate to talk about this one first doesn't it actually it happens to be It does I mean this
1: I think this is the earliest film that I've ever watched 1931 I don't think I've I've never really seen any silent films I think you know I've seen, I've seen the sort of the other stuff that we've done the screwball kind of comedies from the sort of early mid 30s but so I think this is I mean this film is you know well over 90 years old um, yeah true. It's probably I mean, the oldest film film yeah I think I can't recall cool ever watching.
0: I I see sign of film um episode calling filth. <laughs> We've got to get you even further back. Some <laughs> anyway, well, yeah, I mean, the Public Enemy. I mean, it starts with the um with the quote. It is the ambition of the authors of this Public Enemy to honestly depict an environment that exists today in a certain strata of American life. <clears throat> rather than glorify the hoodlum as the, or the criminal. While the story of the public enemy is essentially a true story, all names and characters appearing herein are purely fictional. Warner Brothers Pictures, Inc. That's the opening um, yeah. title card of for the film, which in itself uh, already tells you something about what these films are about. Yes, they are very much glorifying gangsters, and then they're putting in disclaimers to say, no, we're
1: well, not. Yeah, so what I kind of found interesting is, this was pretty violent and it was more violent than I expected because this was before the Hayes Code. That's right. So uh, I think the Hayes Code was about ten years later or so. So so quite a lot of these nineteen thirties gangster films are lot more violent than the nineteen forties one because after that they were regulated a lot more heavily and there were certain things they could then could not do and couldn't get away with. It's, it makes quite interesting viewing. <laughs>
0: It really does. We'll, we'll talk about a certain famous scene there, I'm sure, in a moment. But just just to take it chronologically. So what it, it depicts is the story of um nineteen oh nine, where we see Tom Powers and Matt Doyle as troublemaker kids associating with a known crook called Putty Nose. It then goes forward to nineteen fifteen with Tom and Matt killing a cop uh, on a fur robbery uh uh Nineteen seventeen, um the two are now nineteen twenty-ish, probably in age, something around that sort of age. Um Years old and working, but they meet a guy called Paddy Ryan who's heard about them. Meantime, elder brother Mike, this is Tom's elder brother, uh, enlists and, and rows over morals. Mike punches Tom, and then it goes forward to 1920. Prohibition starts. Um, the, the prams and florist vans are emptied to make room for uh, the last of the booze. There's all that, that, yeah. the depict the, 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 the scenes of the smuggling operations, the clandestine behavior, and things that are going on. Um, It it shows Tom getting involved with Ryan. Gasoline trucks are used. They also hook up through Ryan with a guy called Samuel Nails Nathan who's known hoodlum. Mike returns an injured war hero, his older brother, and they have another fight so they have a lot of problems. Marisol issues, the famous scene. There you go with that wishing stuff again. I wish you was a wishing well so I could tie a bucket to you and sink you, he says, followed by the (laughs) famous grapefruit scene. And that's this is all in the first half of the film. The famous grapefruit scene, which is, of course, yeah. where Cagney thrusts, quite literally, as well as within the story frame, a grapefruit into his uh, muse's face and twists it around. I think they're married at this point, aren't they, in the story? Um, and so you get this this sense of prohibition as the backdrop, the, the tough, edgy environments that they're in. Yeah. I think this film starts with a shot of a really poverty-stricken neighbourhood. I think yeah. I think as it does in a number of the other films, including Angels with Dirty Faces, for example. And it's yeah, it just it shows that these guys are from the wrong side of tracks. They're rough and ready. They're messy. They're dirty, and they they fight their way up through this prohibition. The, the yeah. timing of the prohibition era, um, it's uh, opportunism, I guess. It's the chance for to use the old American dream cliche anybody to make good albeit in this case in a bad way (laughs) it's it's
1: a similar story to a few of his other films with with slight things um so yeah you mentioned william wellman earlier i think he was quite an interesting choice um he sounds like an absolute lunatic and the director so um i think he was uh, brought in by jack warner and um wellman i think he kind of he'd served in world war one was a bit of a grizzled veteran and he promised that he would produce the toughest, most violent picture you ever did see. <laughs> um, so in, in, in the scene where, um, Donald Cook hits Cagney, um, Wellman asked him to actually hit him, uh, and he broke one of Cagney's teeth, <laughs> and Cagney stayed in, in character. Um, one other thing that happened quite a lot in films in the 1930s, yes, they used live ammunition. They didn't use blanks to film things. And this happened quite a lot, and I think Cagney got increasingly sick of it as the years went on until in the 40s. He was very against it. Um, He was almost shot in the head uh, in one particular scene filming this. The the grapefruit scene was another one of Wellman's ideas. (laughs) Um, Surprise, uh, surprise. Yeah, (laughs) I know. So, yeah, so um, uh, Clark... um, Clark's ex-husband um, enjoyed watching that scene so much. He worked out how far into a film it was and then just used to find out what, what cinemas were showing it so he could go in and time it so that he could walk in and just watch that scene and laugh and then come out again afterwards. He doesn't sound like a very nice
0: person to see. <laughs> it sounds absolutely nuts, doesn't it? Um, you've got, I mean, this film's also got Jean Harlow, who's pretty much establishing herself at this point as well. Mm-hmm. Famous actress... I mean, I've got to say, I think amongst all the famous um, sirens of the screen, silver screen, she's probably the least attractive in terms of just pure beauty. Yeah. But there's something about her. She's got a charisma and yeah. a real sex appeal, which again predates the Hayes Code, obviously. And I mean, she went on to carry on doing films, obviously, when that had been put into place. But beforehand, she was run running riot. And here she plays Gwen Allen, who's uh, the muse, isn't she, in the earlier. The sequences. Um, yeah. She's a troublemaker. She's um. Th- there's a scene sitting on his lap, I remember, and it's kind of just the way. I mean, that that's a recurring theme. Sitting on Pagney's lap, the mother yeah. in white heat comes up <laughs> in that regard later. But it's it's interesting. I mean, the, the way they carry out the sort. You've got Putty Nose, you've got Paddy Ryan, you've got Nails Nathan. Just the names themselves, all of a sound pretty uh, edgy and gritty. Yeah, In that's- one or two cases very Irish as well. And it's it's really streetwise. It's got tough, punchy, quick, savvy dialogue. Oh, definitely, he's uh, always kind of a, comes across as a fast-talking guy, doesn't he? In all yeah. of his films, it seems to be that way, or all of his main films, anyway. Um, and it's got um, uh, the the mother characters as well in the films are interesting. We'll talk about White Heat, I'm sure, at some point yeah. during this podcast. Uh, anyway, so the mother in that scene is very famous almost for what's said about her rather than what she does at Mixture of the yeah. Two. But in this film um, the Ma is and, and my wife remembers this when we were talking about it, uh, she didn't see the film when I watched it recently, but she's saying, oh the mother in that is one of the key ingredients she's a very doting uh, you've got your typical Catholic, yeah. mother's boy scenario going on. What, have anything Other bad heard days. about her, her precious boys? Her, precious boy, yeah, and of course we mentioned Mike, the older brother who is the commendable character? He's upstanding. He has a good job. Yeah. He keeps trying to put um, army Tom veteran. On, yeah, on, yeah, exactly. An army veteran. He's injured in in battle. He's a hero. Uh, he comes back to obviously a developing problem uh, for his brother Tom. And yet, apple of the mother's eye is just purely the the off the rails troublemaking brother Tom, rather than Mike. Mike can't do anything anything other than just be. A good background character for the mother. The mother just dotes on him. Because he is the trouble character, isn't he? And this happens in real life and it's depicted many, many times in various films. That troublemaking son becomes the uh apple of her eye. Yeah. Apple of the eye. It's it's a it's a strange paradox, but it's clearly a, a thing, isn't it? And that's the case here. Mar is uh there's a scene, where we've, I don't know how much we want to plot for this. If people haven't seen the films, I don't know. We'll have to, have to be careful. Maybe skip on if you can hear a bit of yeah. plot about to happen. But as the story goes on, I mean, um, Tom gets revenge on a scheme of Burns, I think it is, the rival. Um, oh, yeah, the, the, by the way, the acting uh, in this is interesting because a lot of what happens, and it, well, actually I say the acting, it's more William Wellman's direction. Yeah. A lot of the violence, and it is a violent film, happens off screen you see on i think it's four occasions um a killing uh as happens or well, you um, see
1: bullets hit a wall but yes you know, yeah. yeah you
0: won't actually see the action and these characters are ruthless james cagney's character is ruthless he gets his revenge despite having been dearmed after tricking a gun seller he um he kills loads of his enemies but is badly injured he says i ain't so tough um he's in hospital but under arrest He's now from the hospital by Burns Mob, which is the rival gang. Yeah. And in the final scene, he's dumped standing dead. Like, this is where you've got to watch out with him. Yeah, yeah. the, uh, the final scene, he's dumped standing dead like a mummy at the door. His painfully cheerful Ma sings happily upstairs, thinking, knowing that he's coming home, because he's been yeah. told, but blissfully unaware that her boy isn't coming home in the way she assumes from the phone message given to Mike uh, to the backdrop of the film's opening tune again. Which has come up from the beginning, which is "I'm forever blowing bubbles," which comes up in more than one film. It's uh, it oh, okay in two of his famous films. I think the other one is there's an early scene, a street scene in I think it's Angels um, with Dirty Faces, where they've got exactly the same music. It seems to be very much the okay. I never had him down <laughs> as a
1: West Ham fan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's the very I think it's the popular vaudeville vaudeville and musical hall music of the day. It seems to keep coming up as a as a yeah. theme. And I think it even pops up, there's strains of it, on another film as well, um, which is interesting because I'd forgotten yeah. all about that. But it's very much part of this film, the I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles music. And the film ends with a title card saying, the end of Tom Powers is the end of every hoodlum. Mm, not really. <clears throat> the public enemy is not a man, nor is it a character. It is a problem that sooner or later we, the public, must solve so again the moral message
1: yeah just to remind well, you is, that
0: they're not glorifying this no honestly gov
1: this is very much the very early days
0: of action cinema
1: it's i mean it's only a few years after after silent cinema they're still i think it's quite curious that they kind of the actors from that from that that era because not that many actors kind of crossed over from silent cinema into talkie cinema they literally had to start kind of start from scratch as i understand it And he was one of the sort of new breed that got pulled in so because i think there was a silent star called louise brooks
0: who turned yes. down
1: um gene harlow's role and that was it she never offered any other work again
0: yeah meantime gene harlow went on to
1: flourish yeah. as a sex um, symbol also in this uh, is joan Blondell as um matt's girlfriend um she worked with Taggini on a lot of films, and he once said that she was the uh, only woman he loved beside his wife. Yeah, but she Matt, she turns up
0: in lots. Matt's the um the, the name of the friend in the in the story, yes, isn't yeah, the, yeah, his best friend yeah. who takes a hit for him because he. Uh, this is the one. This is the one where he gets caught, isn't it, by the police and goes to jail. Yeah. Is that right? And um and then uh, Thomas survived uh, getting caught yeah. and gone on to do his stuff while uh, Matt's taken the hit, yeah. and then. It comes out and they they, they go on from there. Um,
1: There's this... a bit at the beginning of the film which confused the hell out of me, which is that they cast two children to play them when they were younger. Yes. And then um, Wilman switched Agnes um, and, um, and Edward Woods, Matt, Matt's roles over, yes. him, but he didn't go back and refilm the scenes from the kids. So you got. One child that grows up to be each other, which did not confuse me last yes, time that's, watching. A
0: bit, that's a bit bizarre. Yeah, that's right. They were going to play the, the opposite way around the roles, which is uh, really interesting. And I think Cagney, I think this was because Cagney had been in another film in a, like a significant side role. I can't remember the name of it now. And I think Wellman was so impressed with that performance, he basically stole the show, um, yeah. as he often did in films, um, that that got him the swap rounds to obviously the most much yeah. more significant character of tom um we mentioned the off-screen violence there's four instances there's one with a horse so there's a favored gang boss guy that he's working with earlier in the film who's killed by accident um in a in a horse riding scenario yeah and he goes into the stables and shoots the horse dead this is one of the scenes you don't see it goes off off screen and that just gives yeah. you an idea of the mentality of this character he's a a bit of a crazy, a crazy character. The music is all sourced, or they now call found music. Yeah. Um, there's lots of moving camera work, which for its time is quite impressive. Actually, yeah. you didn't tend to have that so much in that era, except in the silent era. You would actually have, in, in a strange sort of way, you'd have that more. But in this early talkie period, it was, I wouldn't say completely unusual, but it was um, less it's usual. Yeah, Citizen Kane. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Far more creative wellman is is a master of his art for sure the acting style um is a big change as well from what had gone before because silent cinema you have to over elaborate and use a lot of over physical gesturing and obviously that transition into the early talkies of which this is in the what, three three four years into the whole yeah. process and a lot of films weren't talkies even when talkies were possible yeah so we're talking very early early talkie age here um the 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 acting styles changed there. As you said, a new wave of characters of actors came in. The Gene Harlows, the James Cagneys, and Cagney himself um, depicted that style. It was all more about the dialogue, um, more nuances with the gestures. Um, He's still very a very physical actor, um, but somehow you know he can convey so much in his facial expressions and little nuances, little changes and ticks in the eye or the way he'll curl his mouth slightly um he also he, has that has
1: that kind of um so he drips that kind of venom of you just think that he could explode at any possible second you know yeah even when, he, even when he's being nice you yeah. just know there's that, that danger lurking under the surface
0: and if anybody um isn't a fan or hasn't hasn't really got into our earlier film i honestly recommend there's so many treats out there that you should check out if you haven't already but if you are somebody who's only more of the modernist uh, sensibilities, you might notice if you watch a Cagney film, a certain resemblance. Um, so the sort of characters you might see in the modern era, I'm thinking Joe Pesci here. I'm pretty yeah. sure Joe Pesci is inhabited. Is really... A, in um, James Cullen in The Godfather is, a, is kind of a bit like no. that as well, yeah. There is a bit of that as well. I mean, there's a number of people that played... Famous gangsters in this, this sign an era. Bogart himself, who, again, we're going to talk about during this podcast, I'm sure, um, himself is is a famous gangster role-playing uh, actor. You've got um, Garfield. You've got a number of other players that came into the equation later as well. But Cagney is, is synonymous with it as much as anybody. And in this and the other films that we'll at some point talk about tonight, um, he, he's just – I can't imagine anybody doing anywhere near as good a role Uh, As he does in these particular films, it feels that they're tailor-made for him, uh, as they may well have been. In fact, yeah, Um, it's it's fantastic cinema, superb performances. The music's great, as I said. The camera work and the direction is great, and this isn't his best film. (laughs) This is our. We both picked this as our number. This came
1: very close to being my number six. I was there was another film that he made a few years later called G-Men. Which knew, is brilliant as well. Yeah. And, and cool. I, couldn't, well, I was trying to work out which one was number five and which one was number six. And in the end, I think I enjoyed them both equally. In the end, I went for this one because it's the more famous and more well-known and the kind of earlier one. But it, on another day, it could have been G-Man, which is, which, is, which I thought was just as good.
0: It's a great film, yeah. I don't have that in my top five either, but that was probably my number six. I think it's a great film where he plays he flips it a bit because he's playing a similar kind of character. Yeah but he 's working for the other side he 's working g men is government men basically yeah a precursor to um, to the, the FBI yeah FBI basically yeah 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 and it 's it's interesting because he he depicts someone who 's come from the rough end of the street, he knows some he 's got friends who he went through um, uh, you, uh, uh, union he's Coral, with, yeah. but he 's been funded by a gangster in that film who wants him to have a law. Um, qualification and go straight he doesn't want him yeah. to be a dodgy lawyer for the gangster that's the thing. no him. no exactly. he's actually championing him as being a, a kid from the streets who's not going to turn out like him or be yeah. a savage with him, which is an interesting notion and um uh, yeah, that character is very important in that film and it, it's a great film i think um g-men is is superb it's available on amazon prime anyone doesn't want to go down the illegal route um, available to rent, um, it's, it's worth it. It's...
1: Yeah, tracking some of these films down can be can be difficult. I was quite lucky, actually, in some way, but what guy I sit next to at work, Tony, he lent me a, um, a box set of James Cagney films, DVDs that he had, because he's a big fan. So that was yeah. a result. Thanks, is, Tony.
0: Is that, is that a box set of four, by any chance?
1: It's a box set of four, yeah. Yeah, fifth, I think that's the same one, one I've got. Um, White Heat um angels with dirty faces and they're all in 20s
0: yeah yeah that's the same thing i've got <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: i've got a couple of others as well on disc and there's, there's plenty on actually there's a lot of his films are on prime some of the not obvious ones as well actually there's some interesting stuff on there but g-men is one of them they've got the yankee doodle dandy and Footlight Parade that we've already mentioned yeah. And they've got The Public Enemy and I think they've got White Heat and a few others as well. So check it yeah. all out. Yes, so, uh, yeah,
1: on release, um, the acting was praised uh, and said it's all which kind of which they said it elevated it against a lot of the other gangster films of the period. It was nominated for an Oscar Best Story, which was a, a category that they had a long time ago. It, it didn't win. Um, the film was re-released 10 years later in 1941 after the Hayes Code had come in. Um, yeah. And three scenes were cut out. Uh, none of them to do with violence, actually. All of them were to do with implied sexual elements. Yeah, quite mm. interesting. Yeah. Um, and one other thing is, I don't know if you've ever watched that scene in The Sopranos when uh, Tony Soprano sits down and watches his film and gets completely overwhelmed with emotion. There's a, that was in I can't remember which series it was, but one of those. he Sort of sits there watching, sits watching this and
0: sort of starts almost crying and yeah. <laughs> yes Brilliant. i remember that scene i couldn't remember which film it was but that was the public enemy was it mm. ah, okay excellent that's interesting yeah great um anything else or should we move on to our number fours Cause no, we're to number four this could be a quick one today phil who knows right now, this is where this may dif- differ, it may not. It depends on what your opinion of this film is, this next one that I mentioned, And number four, I've gone for Yankee Doodle Dandy. Oh, I've gone
1: for Yankee Doodle. We're going to have the same top five in the same order. I we've, never, we've
0: never done it before. We've this never, could be a first No, lady, we've, we've never we've gone anywhere goodness. near it, yeah. All right, well, no, yeah. well, Yankee Doodle Dandy is probably the film that best shows off all of the musical training and the, the musical side and the dance yes. side of Cagney's talent and ability uh this is 1942 American uh it's kind of got to me when I was watching it and I've seen it before I haven't seen it for a long time when I watched it back the other day I got the the feeling of it's, it's got that sense of almost like Citizen Kane where you've got this long story of an American character who may be yeah. real maybe not but he's it's is an American character and it shows, it documents his life span. So he's, he's grows up as, as a music, a member of a musical family. It's him and his sister, his mum and dad, um, who are all musical entertainers and they travel all over the states. Yes. They depict how the states is growing with them. There's more and more stars on the flag as the, as America expands its, um, its, its, yeah. its realm and, yes. and they expand their own experience, uh, their own talents, their own, uh, well popularity i guess you'd say yeah. and the four of them go around and they're they're, they're all entertainers obviously you, you see them earlier as as boys he's quite a mischievous boy that's hard to get under control isn't he at first yeah. and the dad who's played by walter houston later yes father of
1: john actor, grandfather of angelica and danny yeah
0: indeed who's famous as an actor and as a director himself uh, he did a lot, a lot of both a great actor good character actor Um, all through his life Um, and this is the story of um, so James Cagney is the son um, George M. Cohan again it's an Irish American Um, it's a 1942 American biographical musical film but Um,
1: it it did remind me I mean there's been a lot of musical uh, biopics recently I've had to sit through a lot of them over the last few years we've had Bohemian Rhapsody and uh, Rocket Man and uh, um, Whitney Houston one, I can't remember what it's called, it wasn't very good. Um, and it's quite strange watching a film that's over eighty years old that the blueprint is almost identical. Yes, so that, the, the big hits are there. They they reenact the stage shows and and the big oh moments. God. So so what happens with almost every biopic is they get the for the kind of the big stage shows for the big numbers, they get it absolutely bang on 100 percent accurate every single dance move every single bar of music the background the the venue 100 percent. and then with all the rest of the history they just play merry hell with chronology and merge people into one <laughs> and, and this is i didn't realize this has been going on for such a long time
0: <laughs> exactly yeah and i this this one, it's yeah. He was known as the man who owned Broadway. It's um, there's a lot of montage sequences. Um, it it, it fast tracks you through certain elements of their um, their genesis as a family and him as a as a yeah. as a, a figure. He's constantly. the Cohans, fighting...
1: weren't they? They were always out out on tour.
0: Yeah, the Cohans. Yeah, and he's um, he's depicted as a guy who's got a lot of ideas. He, he's very quick to write music. None of it seems to come off. We're not quite. You know, I'm not an expert on. The music of the time and how that would have hit the right notes or not for the popular audience or for the producers of such um, entertainments. Yes. But it's not quite clear whether it's good or not, but um, it, it's depicted as no one quite likes it. It's either a bit too early, a bit too young, or a bit just off key, and he never quite makes it. His, par- his parents carry on entertaining. Even when
1: he's playing a teenager, even though he's about 42 at the
0: time yes. that they filmed it. Yeah. Yes, it's a bit artistic license with ages there, isn't there, in that one. Um, And it shows him striving for success. He's he's clearly a, a guy with lots of character, lots of ambition, but never quite making it. And eventually he does, and then he becomes synonymous with the american way um it it uh, traverses the the war years and he creates a version of yankee doodle dandy which becomes hugely successful and becomes part of the war effort you've also got the go compare advert in this as well (laughs) or some may call it um keep them there i think it is isn't it keep them there yeah or, or we're still here or something i can't remember the wording um the whole notion is we're staying there till the war's done that's the notion yeah. of Tom. it becomes an anthem over
1: there yeah
0: over, over there over there yeah something something we stay over there um and uh, you know he he becomes a huge figure in american society uh, as a guy who we tries to enlist but he's just over the legal age as as currently stipulated at the time so he carries on writing music becoming hugely popular helping the war effort through you know um uh, through good motivation yeah so sort of is the first world war first world war we should say yeah. yeah yeah and it just it documents his progress as a human being as a as a partner as a son um they have a good relationship there's it, it's strange because it's quite a jolly film there's not a lot of um really serious no narrative. it's all it's
1: sort of normal good news it's um so yeah. this happens and this this happens a lot now Whenever they make a biopic and the person who they're making of is involved or their family is involved they don't like to say horrible things about them yeah bohemian rhapsody i did, i really didn't like it at all because it 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 just it was just all oh, it wasn't Freddie great and lovely and misunderstood and isn't he isn't he oh. wonderful, and none of the darkness or the all the sort of the nasty stuff I was kind of thought it was glossed over kind of a lot where and in this case um poham was a, a consultant he was very very he actually died the year that this was released he he was yeah. very happy he was a consultant on film he was very very happy with his portrayal, but you can kind of tell that there's it, it, a feeling that he's kind of Signing off on everything. I mean, the fact that in this film he he um he gets married quite early on to and then see well he actually got married about three times or something like that. Yes. You know they merged all his wives into one for this film. It, yeah, so it, it does kind of gloss over that, and and it it, it does sort of show the, uh, the as you say the jolly side of, of everything. Yeah, it? It there's of not any peril
0: as, as such in it, and I don't know what the oh. truth story is other than as you said it it stretches a, a while. Whereas, whereas you can
1: watch something by a biopic like the doors mm. which regardless of what you think about it 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 doesn't put its punches in in what happened at
0: the time, yeah, and this is but it's quite a it's quite a top thumping kind of thing isn't it this film it's kind of it it's quite upbeat um it's also we should mention it's bookended by Rosa of where... yes well actually there's a scene where he's been invited to go and speak to the president and he's been depicting him in a, in a stage uh, yeah. presentation. So he's worried about what the president thought of it. So there's that scene. Then, then from there, it's then bookended between him arriving. It's a,
1: Yeah. It's a very, um, very American film, isn't
0: it? Yeah. The butler who seems to be very, you know, affable, a black butler at the, at the White House, who's very affable. And he loves his depictions of this, that, and the other. Yeah. Um, he goes in, meets the president, who you don't see properly. You see him in. You see um, from behind, of, don't you? Right yeah. the angle behind, yeah. Which I think I quite like that actually. That's quite a nice touch. Yeah. And then at the end of the film is just it reverts back, and uh, the whole of the film in between, as as shown, is essentially a recounting of his life story by the character who yeah. Roosevelt. And then it, yeah, and it bookends it like that. I mean, it, there there are as there will be for films of this age. There's a couple of problematic bits. There is a blackface scene amongst. Yes. a huge number of others so you've got this you know this doting butler who kind of loves his stuff and you think yeah. well would he have loved the blackface bit probably not yes. i wouldn't have thought no and i know that was part of the history of america and it's fine that they show that because even if it's uh, a new film the fact that they show how things were and what they were doing don't have a problem it's with all that. About education isn't it yeah, yeah yeah but it's it's an interesting film because it's it is a musical, but it's not. It's kind of more just drama and fast paced. Yeah. But the musical numbers, I mean,
1: that's where they spent all the money on this film. They're, yeah. they're, they've put a lot of time and a lot yeah. of effort into it. When they directed, the... directed by Michael Curtiz, I think, who worked yes, with Cagney quite that, a yeah. lot. Hmm.
0: Yes, he works with him on, um, uh, what was it? Uh, I don't think, I don't think, um, yeah. I don't think Agnew
1: got on with him very well yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah no hmm. he also he also uh, i've got some notes here about so um he also yeah he worked him on this and yeah
0: he worked with him he also on, worked um, on
1: angels with dirty faces angels the,
0: that's the one yeah i don't I think, think my... they had the
1: greatest working uh
0: relationship my... But Curtis is a brilliant director. I mean, he made this. He made, as you said, obviously, Thank You Doodle Landy, Angel was uh, Dirty Faces, and of course, famously, Casablanca and a number of other brilliant films. But um, yes, they didn't get on well, but I think that's fine. There's lots of flourishes with this film. I mean, it's very epic. The the scenes of the musical scenes are brilliant because they're, they're very well-staged. There's a lot of detail. I think they,
1: they tried to reenact that. what they were actually, from all the sort of stage notes and everything at the time, and speaking to Kohan, they tried to reenact them exactly yeah. as, as they were originally performed.
0: Yeah. And when they when he first started the Yankee Doodle Dandy stuff, he first starts doing his interpretation to that song. He's on the stage. He's, put, he's managed to get himself into some big productions, big presentation, right on Broadway, and he's uh, front and centre of stage, dancing about, doing his stiff-legged, kind of funny, kind of animalistic walk, and he's doing his tap dancing, and he's got his, uh, you know, his uh, red, white, and blues, and stars and stripes, and all that stuff going on. It's a big-budget... Seeing there's lots of lots and lots of background performers in this. You know your typical musical kind of sequence. It goes on for about ten minutes, ten eleven minutes. Yeah, oh, lots of lots um, of them. Yeah, this is something like forty seven minutes Phew. into the film. I think it is. Um, and you know it carries on from there. But it's it's got a good pace to it. As I think all of his films seem to to have. They seem to to go at a good rate. Of this is one of his
1: longer ones. All the gangster films are generally about an hour and a half. This is the sort of the two hour biopics territory.
0: Yeah, I think it's more than that, isn't it? Is it two, two and a half hours? I like don't, don't think it's that long. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, so that's um, that's pretty much all I've got to say on the matter. I think it's, it, it's a, um, well, actually, there was one one bit of information I think I just read um, yesterday, which said that um, in 1993, Yankee Doodle Dandy was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being, to quote, culturally, historically, and or and or aesthetically significant and in 1998 the film was included in the american film institute's 100 years 100 movies list a compilation of what they say is the 100 greatest films in american cinema i probably wouldn't agree with it if i looked at that list i don't know, no. but, you know but this certainly has a good merit to getting into there it's so, um, um, you w- yeah sorry, sorry
1: go on. Yeah. Yeah. no no continue
0: well no i was just going to say it's um it's Indelibly linked to the American psyche, to the American sense it, it of self. So
1: it is very, very American. Obviously, this uh-huh. kind of came out just as an American entered the Second World War. Um, yeah. There is a bit of a conspiracy theory. So about James Cagney um, in that um, he'd been falsely labelled a communist in the 1930s. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you remember you got the McCarthy witch hunt uh, of a House of Un-American. Activities kind of going on uh, yeah. in the sort of the late 30s, early 40s. Cagney um, was very—he—he uh, he grew up working hard on stage, and he was kind of not quite unionized, but he was quite savvy, and he understood that some people should get work work hard and, and you know get paid well for what they would do, and he was not afraid to have fights with people and fall out with people over such things. He had a very problematic relationship with Jack Warner. Hmm. For example, so because he kind of he, did, he a was a lot like of almost, people did, feel <laughs> No, no, I think, uh, I think, yeah, was it Jack Warner called him? Um, so he walked out on Warner Brothers several times over the course of his career, and each time he returned on a much improved personal and artistic terms. He sued them in 1935 for breach of contract and won, which is one of the first times that actor did this to a studio. Jack Warner called him. The professional against her for his refusal to be pushed around. He was famously stubborn for things like that, which made him. And I think he, in his early life he had kind of quite left wing political leaning, um, oh. which got him on the list. I mean, as he grew older, he, he went increasingly right wing to the to the point where Ronald Reagan did the eulogy at his funeral. Uh, but. Um, he, he after all all this sort of brouhaha over the whole is he or isn't he a communist I think he chose they, some believe he chose to make the most American film that he could to just try and get all those people off his back yeah. it's, I'm curious to know whether that's true or not he wasn't yeah, that, actually the first choice to for that part hmm. Fred Astaire was Fred Astaire oh, yeah, so I mean, he was originally for the- wanted for the role um, he turned it down because the kind of Irish, eccentric, should we say, dancing didn't really fit his kind of fluid style. Whereas it, I mean, Cagney, um, it fitted his, not his, he looked, he, he, he fitted his dancing style um, and his performance style and his singing style in almost, in almost kind of every possible way. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, it kind I of
0: can't up imagine... Perfectly. We've, the only way Fred Astaire could be in this role is in a, an entirely differently arranged film. I can't imagine yeah. him playing... I think the, it's you, just you, Jack
1: Warner not wanting to employ uh, Cabney and then having to...
0: Yeah. And Warner, all of the studio ads are an absolute nightmare. Warner probably, I think more than any of them, actually got on badly with a number of stars. Obviously, we had the studio system and they were all yeah. they were bound by contracts. And basically, it's, an auto, it's, it's, a, it's a dictatorship, and autocracy pretty much of... Uh, of, of ruling studio heads who were hard-nosed, they were tough, ruthless uh, bastards, basically. To put it oh, correctly. completely. But, yeah, and he he was the worst of the lot, possibly, some say. Yeah.
1: So C- Cagney reprised his role uh, in a, another film, which I haven't seen, called The Seven Little Foys. Uh, no, I've so, not seen that either. No, yes. So, you know, Eddie, Eddie Foy was ah. kind of a contemporary of Cohan's, and then there's a scene where James Cagney meets Eddie Foy, and Eddie Foy was played by Eddie Foy Jr.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. So James Cagney, and then in that particular film, he played Cohan again, and uh, Bob Hope played Foy in uh, The Seven Little Foy. So he kind of reprised the role there. Also, he, um, within this film, his um, real-life sister Jean played one of Cohan's sister, and his brother William produced the film. I think he he did kind of keep it in the family quite a lot with quite a lot of his film productions. Yeah. I forgot was to mention a, that about the sister, yeah. yeah. It was a major hit. It was the biggest box office success Warner Brothers had ever actually had at that time, as well as being a critical mm. smash. Um, and it won three Oscars, uh, including Cagney one Best, um, Best Actor. Mm. I think yes. he won it three times, yeah.
0: Yeah, and quite rightly so, because I mean, it 's an all encompassing role multifaceted performance As I said obviously marrying a load of pretty good uh, dramatic scenes with the music he 's fantastic in all elements of that film. I really think it 's a supreme performance and with with the actor episodes that we do actually we 've always got this quandary of do we place the films in order of his performance the or her performance, performance. Or,
1: or the enjoyment or the of the film. Yeah,
0: and I think for me, it's kind of a marrying of the two. I think it's, it's got to be a happy medium somewhere. I can't just go on the performance because I've seen no. actors in brilliant performances in really shit films, to put it bluntly. Yes. I, can't, I couldn't put those in the top five. No, but I do think this is worthy of it, and I think probably in terms of the quality of the film, and I think the quality of the performance for me. This sits number four in both respects, actually, yeah. as the public enemy at number five. Yeah. Jordan, should we do one more before we have our first break, Phil?
1: I could do with grabbing another beer. Okay, Let's
0: all have right. A quick break. We'll have a- right, okay. Su- suitably uh, refreshed and relubricated. Uh, in my case, with a Duvel, uh, a fam- famous Belgian beer, of course. But not just any Duvel. This is the name of the beast, uh, or the number of the beast, I should say, Phil. It's uh, Duvel 666, which is a Belgian blonde. Oh, um, i want to try that. It's, re- it's, it's really nice, actually. Um, typical, uh, the usual bottle, uh, but yellowy labelling rather than the usual white. Usual uh, usual kind of That's stuff. Very nice. It's tasty. What have you got there?
1: I'm on the Beaver Town Gamma Ray APA. Mm. tried and trusted yeah
0: I'm going very solid legal. and reliable my third and final one's going to be very niche I'll tell you more about that later and before okay. we continue our countdown with our number threes number twos and maybe number ones before the next break um, a quick honourable mention to our friend of the show listener to the show Raymond the Gent right as we call him who you've met Phil before I know yeah. hello um, <laughs> I'm sure he's listening hello to you Raymond um, he's come up with a, a short list of one. All he wanted to mention was Yankee Doodle Daddy. He does like a musical, I have to say. So it's entirely unsurprising that he's gone for that one, but um, it's right <laughs> up his street. So Fantastic. thank you for your, your contribution. You. Anybody else with any opinions, we will uh, read those out as well as we get them uh, in the last part of the episode. We're up to number three on our list. So far, yes. we've matched exactly. Now, I've got a funny feeling... You might have your threes and twos the other way around to me with the same one at number one. That's my prediction. We're about to find out, Phil. I'm going to think we've got the same top three. I'm
1: going, to go, I'm going to go bold.
0: Right, okay. Well, we are going to find out at this very moment because my number three is one of the movie classics. Again, it's one of the gangster-related films. It's Angels with Dirty Faces.
2: Oh, yes. That's a,
0: so you haven't got that at the same place. I haven't have got that at number three, uh, no. You've got that at number two, I reckon. But anyway, we'll find out in a minute. Angels with Dirty Faces. You might is be cool. right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, I mean, this was interchangeable with my actually, the number two. No, no, it. my, it's much the same. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a 1938 American crime drama. It's Michael Curtis again, the one we've just been talking yes. about. Um, it's Warner Brothers again, of course, there's a lot of these films were well with Cagney. This is um, the first um, film we've mentioned. With the guy we've already mentioned, Pat O'Brien, Pat O'Brien yeah, old, Father Jerry, yeah, it features the Dead End Kids who have already made their own appearance on stage, and that'd be a very popular sort of side act and side side story on on plays. Yeah, I, was, to...
1: I wasn't aware of them, so they hmm. were a group of young New York actors who appeared in a Broadway play called Dead End yeah. in nineteen thirty five, and in nineteen thirty seven, Samuel Goldwyn brought them to Hollywood. To kind of put them together in, in films. Um, and they stayed together in films for 20 years, although quite a lot of them have died of alcoholism by the end. Um, do you know how many
0: films they made? The Dead End Kids. Yeah. Or the, the, they're in. It was several, wasn't it? Seven or eight, isn't it? 89.
1: 89? And three television series. <laughs> And they gradually moved kind of from drama to comedy as they got older and older and older.
0: I don't do the hell, there's more, there's more um, spin-offs of that than there is of. Um, so, so Angels kind of with Dirty yeah. 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 Yes.
1: Faces was actually a vehicle for them. Hmm.
0: Yes, Um yeah, they wanted to get on with spring, them
1: in mind. Yeah,
0: because it was hugely popular. I didn't realize that popular, but I knew it was hugely popular, and they wanted to have a a um, platform. And they are great. And they're great in it. They're all good. All the actors yeah. are good. All the, all the characters are good. Um, yeah. This also has Humphrey Bogart, who Cagney works with in uh, at least one other film. Of various... They worked together
1: three times in one year, I think. Yes. Or, uh, along yeah those lines, because they, they, did, um, they did Angels with Dirty Faces, um, and they did The Roaring Twenties,
0: yeah. and they did uh, another one. Yeah. Another one. Not so well known, but um, well not so famous. Yeah, but, yeah um, no, no, I can't
1: it, it will come. It will, it will come to me in a in, in a second. But yeah, we well, have a quick um,
0: look at that film if you want. Well, I just mentioned. So Bocart's in this. Oklahoma
1: it's, Kid. This
0: Oklahoma good. Kid. That's it. Yes, of course. The Western. The Western. Um, Anne Sheridan's in this. George Bancroft. It's a good. It's a really good um cast here really solid, strong yeah. uh, actors all throughout. As we said, the Dead End Kids are brilliant as well. It's a screenplay written by John Wexley and Warren Duff, based on a story by Roland Brown, and it chronicles the relationship of the notorious gangster William Rocky Sullivan uh, with his childhood friend, now priest, father, Jerry Connolly. Now, this this character pops up a number of times as well. Not yeah. Maybe not as often as the Dead End Kids from what I'm now hearing, but he's but, He's, He's almost played... like the
1: brother from *The Public Enemy*, isn't he?
0: Yes, exactly. He's the moral compass. He's the close associ- uh, emotional associate. You could call him whatever you want to say—friends, relative, whatever it might be—who's the moral com- the moral compass for the Cagney characters. The Cagney characters always have a heart. There's some good in them, but there's a real tough edge, and it tends to overbear and override uh, to usually fatal effect in the stories, doesn't yes, it? And yeah. Here you've got Angels with Dirty Faces is an absolute classic film. It's, it's famously brilliant. It's, uh, uh, well, I mean, a, a film with multifacets to it. As you said, the kids are great in it. It shows, again, it starts with shots of a really poverty-stricken neighbourhood of New York. We assume it's New York, anyway. Um, Irish-American neighbourhood. Uh, yeah, dirty clothed. People and yeah. there's a lot of banter with the kids in it. um And Rocky is a guy who's um who's gone away and he's developed a bit of a reputation. So of course times move on. You've got these dead end kids and various other people on the scene. They all look up
1: to him. Yeah, they all
0: look up to him. And they initially they tried to scam him out of his uh, wallet, don't they? When yeah. he happens to have a load of money on him, which he's playing back from his lawyer friend of the past. Humphrey bogart hmm. who turns out to be a bit of a gangster himself yes um so that money's been he's forced bogart to be good on some money that he prom been promised he gets that money lifted by the dead end kids but he knows their hideouts because he knows that their neck of the woods yeah like, exactly the where town. he grew
1: up yeah
0: and his first moral message to them is don't steal them from your own backyard it's too risky yeah and so he finds them he becomes as you said an idol for them and they look up to him and he starts getting in... involved in scams, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's a love interest as well. A really good scene when he was a kid. He screws around with these, these girls uh, winding them up and, um, he pulls the hat down over one of them and uh, yeah. Sher- Sheridan turns up as the now adult version of that girl. Yeah. Laurie Martin. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Again, a good, a good old Irish girl from the neighborhood, um, who's kind of, and I think this is quite often the case. The quite savvy, quite either savvy or understanding, or tolerant or strong characters. The, women, the female characters in these films tend to not just be your typical passive women. We see this yeah. in White Heat as well, where the, the muse in that film who's a bit of an ambiguous whether her loyalties really lie anyway kind of yeah. character. She's tough as nails. She's spitting and snoring and all sorts. And in this film, you yeah, know, Anne Sheridan is more of a clean-cut girl. But again, she's kind of, she's worldly wise and um, she's a yeah. good match for Cagney's character, Rocky. And the story goes like this. It's, it's a, a fantastic film. So many details that I, I could talk about with this. I mean, it's, um, as I said, a poverty stricken Irish neighborhood, um, as seen in other films like Public Enemy. It's famous, I think we've got to mention straight away, for two of the catchphrases that we've already alluded to. What do you hear? What do you <laughs>
1: say? So apparently yeah. that came from a drug addict, Pimp. That uh, Cagney knew growing up, um, and I think he he later very much regretted using that because he was trying to make it, the character seem more real. But so many impressionists did it, and whenever I mean, anybody saw him, would say it that he lived to regret that. Because I think he I think he he had he he brought that to them, and I think there was a bit of a, a bit of improvisation.
0: I think in quite a lot of the dialogue in some of this as well. Yeah, he's known for his catchphrases, as we alluded to. I think it's interesting because You Dirty Rat. This one he actually did say, yeah. He actually did say this, yes. We should say You Dirty Rat, which I think has also been attributed to Humphrey Bogart at one point, is mainly attributed to James Cagney. He never really said that. He called somebody a
1: rat or a filthy rat or something, yeah, Yeah, but never quite that, yeah.
0: Yeah, the dialogue is of the time is interesting. They use words such as rat, sucker, gilpin. These names keep coming back up and they're. Basically, sort of, basically, um, they're they're either treacherous um, suggestions or they are relating to suckers. He says, "What do you hear? What do you say?" The other expression in this film is "Don't be a sucker," which he doesn't yeah. say as often, but it's it's clearly another another one of his catchphrases. Um, he, so, so the background story is: Woody Rocky Sullivan goes down for two years for a, a crime of petty larceny, actually, not a major offense, yeah. uh, trying to steal um, goods from a train. His friend escapes. He's sentenced uh, from May 23 to May 25, as in the year 23 to 25. A montage then shows... Uh, that when incarcerated in a reformatory, he has a three-year sentence added for assault and battery, then another four years and six-month sentence in a state penitentiary for another offence. The montage then shows he's a full-blown liquor racketeer, escaping various charges as prohibition comes into the equation. And this is beautifully shot. I love the tightness. Again, I've mentioned this and wanted to learn about this many times before – classic hollywood cinema those early films they don't waste time they they rattle act- along don't they the dialogue <laughs> rattles stuff.
1: Along. the story yeah. rattles along.
0: so you've got a, a beautifully shot um montage with dissolve editing showing how um he's gone through these phases so you've got pictures of you know uh, reformatory reports or newspaper articles or whatever it might be bouncing into shots and yeah. you've got uh, dissolve shots of um showing the liquor production going on and all that kind I mean, of stuff. I mean, this film's
1: only about an hour and a half long. If it's made now, it will be one of these two-and-a-half, yeah. three-hour epics although yeah. I have no doubt.
0: And, and right. I absolutely love Cagney. I love his performances and I love Humphrey Bogart as well. The next scene in this film, after those montages, shows him consulting with his lawyer, who, who we would not seen until this point, Yeah. Um, played by Humphrey Bogart, this time unable to escape jail. He takes a three-year charge but tells his lawyer that you may be smart but you don't get smart with me regarding the $100,000 he's expecting to collect when freed again. Some beautiful... Yeah. And, and this is uh, some of which he's been given, which is the money the dead-end kicks ne- yeah. kick. Um And a uh, beautiful cinematography, as, as I say, ensues. The film then settles into a scene showing a rough neighbourhood church with the children's choir. We meet the film's other most significant character, Father Connolly, that we've mentioned, Jerry Connolly, yeah. played by Pat O'Brien, a role that he plays numerous times elsewhere. Jerry's uh, it's, his old it's mad because
1: this is slightly different because they're still best friends, even though that he knows he's not, not. It's not like his brother in Public Enemy where they no. hate each other. He still genuinely loves his friend yeah. and wants him to reform. And Jerry yeah. is the
0: guy that's escaped um, getting incarcerated. Yes, and he's yeah. gone on to make good. Become a priest. Life. Yeah, um, he's 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 seen it as a obviously a, a pivotal moment in his own life. He's turned himself around, become a priest. There's there's no hard feelings between the two when they meet back up. Um, and um, now the priest working to help the poor and destitute kids we meet a number of edgy street urchins who quickly warm to rocky this is of course the dead end kids um we mentioned laura martin of of course already as well um and meantime frazier who is the bogart character is set up with a business partner and doesn't welcome his return to the neighborhood and so the story goes on so Cagney gets some of the down payment of the money he says he's owed he's then looking to not just to get the rest of the money, but to actually come back into the business. And just he assumes yeah. he's going to be able to just step back into it. Of course, that isn't the plan yeah. of Humphrey Bogart. Humphrey Bogart, and he and says his boss. No. Yeah. yeah. And they, they, they decide to take him out. Trying, yeah, yeah they, try and, um, they try and wipe him out in, a, in one way or another, and then in the literal sense.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, but obviously Cagney's character here, Rocky, is a savvy character, as he yeah. usually is. Fast-talking, fast-witted uh, outsmarts them there's uh, a number of tough edgy scenes uh this stage and the film is just i think there's so much rich detail to it in terms it of is.
2: i think i think to... having
0: all, all those i mean you've got a
1: gang of kids in it Well, each of them has got their own individual character it's you know there it's put a lot of thought and a lot of time into this
0: yeah these aren't one-dimensional two yeah no, no no exactly they're really very good, and I can't remember the nicknames. And you Car- really
1: do find yourself kind of warming to James Cagney a bit of this, despite him being quite a reprehensible individual.
0: Yeah, because what, what happens is it, it depicts, and this is pretty realistic as how it might be, um, this glamorous figure. Again, it's glamorising the gangster theme coming up. You know, he's he's idolised by these kids yeah. that have heard about him. He's a, he's a bit of a fable, fabled character. And they idolise him. And, of course, because of that, he's able to... Assert greater influence on them, in a way steering them towards some degrees of being good as well. They're not just being bad guys. Um, he's showing them some rules of the game, literally in the sense of a basketball yeah. match at one point. And yeah. Pat O'Brien, of course, is is looked up to. Very as a... violent basketball match. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, the amount of kicking and shoving going on. <laughs> Cagney's assaulting all these kids essentially, but to keep them in check. Pat O'Brien's character, Father Connolly, of course, is looked up to as a pillar of the society. Yeah. He is respected by the kids, but not to the same degree, of course, as Rocky, no, no, who's, no, exactly. who's seen as the glamorous figure. So Rocky's able to take on that role model that Pat, um, uh, sorry, that, that Father Connolly couldn't ever really hope to achieve. There's an element of maybe envy a little bit there that's depicted in the story. What's beautiful about it is it's not over the top. It's subtle. It feels real. You know, he he's got a bit of a pang yeah. of envy, but it's not that's not the main thrust of the story. And the story goes on here, there, and everywhere. Um, and I just think it's got multi-layers to it in terms of characterization, in terms of the storyline, in terms of the beauty of the shooting of the film. Curtis is a brilliant director. He's he's fantastic. I love this film. I love um the um the uh uh, the casablanca and uh the roaring 20 what was the other one we we mentioned was it roaring 20s i've forgotten now um public enemy uh, public enemy yes public enemy public enemy angels with dirty fates and uh, casablanca are all fantastic films they're just so beautifully realized as you said that the the characters are not cliched they're not underdeveloped They're, they're beautifully beautifully depicted um there's a lot of detail in there. And you, you get the sense that there's an edge as well. One of the one of the dead-end kids has got a a bit of an attitude and there's a bit of yeah. a, a spiky relationship, isn't there? And what's good about that is you wonder where that's going and it doesn't really go anywhere as such, which I quite like. Yeah, yeah. He sells him out or does something, but it isn't. It's just uh, he actually keeps a pretty unruly character within the unruly characters under control, which is kind of an interesting notion. Yeah. And, uh, I think it's a beautiful film. I think it ends lovely in a lovely way as well. So
1: yeah, no, that's an interesting one. Um, spoilers. Yep. So, spoiler um, alert. <laughs> spoiler alert. So, so the execution scene at the end, that shot at uh, Sing Sing prison. So yeah. it's supposed to be ambiguous, isn't it? Whether he turned yellow or yeah. was keeping his promise to Father Connolly. I always thought he was. It was pretty obvious that he was keeping his promise to Father Connolly, but a lot of people sort of said, Well, maybe he's not, maybe he did turn yellow at the
0: end. I think, yeah, I think to me it looks pretty obvious. And maybe we're looking at this through modern eyes, yeah. maybe that's part of the problem, I don't know. But to me, I think the scene's brilliant. Again, mm. it's very subtle. Um, he's a tough guy, he takes he takes it with the punches, you know, he rides with the punches. And to me he he is one hundred percent faking going yellow, yeah, yeah. under request from, from his good mate, Father Connolly, yeah. because he says that in the end, you need to let these kids know the crime doesn't pay, or make no, them think exactly, the crime yeah. not pay. And that's why he wants him to look like he's fallen at the final hurdle, and that in the end, this doesn't end well for you kids. That's what that's the notion. Yeah. And of course, it's, it's a brilliant end scene, because Cagney's refusing to do that, and right to the end, Father Connolly thinks that his mate Rocky is not going to do that. Uh, He says he's not going to, and then he walks out, and then you hear him squealing, and it just doesn't fit right as someone who's about to do that, unless he's acting. So to me, the character is acting yeller, as they call it. Um, That scene is the worst thing, isn't it, being a coward? You've got to be tough. No, exactly. And it's, it's, um, you know, there's then a montage sequence showing newspaper footage saying... Um, hoodlum turns yellow in the end. Than yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I, I,
1: I, as I understand, it, Cagney was reticent to take this film on to begin with because he'd had enough of gangster films and was a bit worried about being typecast. But I think it was the fact that he understood that there was he was going to test his acting chops a lot more, uh, working yeah. with the Deadhead Kids and some of the other stuff that's going on. That he, he kind of decided to do it, and um, a lot of people say that this is his best role, uh, his best performance rather. I, I think very yeah. possibly they've got a very good point there.
0: I think so, and you know the the, the character I mentioned amongst the dead end kids, the one who's a the spikier relationship. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the actor, but that that kid, you know the one I mean. Mm. He um he actually started trying to do what we now call shit house tactics. He um he started to try and uh kind of undermine his performance and out out act him on the stage on the on yeah. the set and uh Cagney just gave him a clip and said we're not doing any more of that shit you're not you're not going to stop <laughs> me, which he was clearly trying to do so he's got a real bit of attitude yeah, yeah. to the actor, the actor himself as well he's, he's brilliant in the role yeah. he looks like an old head on young shoulders doesn't he physically and mentally but um yeah. But there's some great little anecdotes behind the scene about that as well. And Cagney was, you know, he's he's owning the scene. He's not going to let anyone upstage him. And that kid was very good, and yeah, he made sure he wasn't going to upstage him in what would prove to be one of his greatest performances, his third best. Um, So uh, I think obviously
1: this is a world that he knew very well. Apparently, I read that he had he his other main inspiration for the role is he had a childhood friend. Peter Hessling, who was convicted of murder and executed in the late twenties, mm. so he 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 had knowledge of that that world. Yes, and he, and he looks right at home in it.
0: Yeah. yeah, he really does, doesn't he? Yeah, fantastic yeah. film, fantastic performances. Again, um, they
1: used live gun like They used live gunfire in it, and he was almost killed again making this. Yeah, I which mean, again what, he thought was ridiculous.
0: What what could go wrong? Bruce Lee, Alec Baldwin. <laughs> You know, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm sure it'll be fine. It's crazy, isn't it, to think, you know, obviously blanks existed in this day and age, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. On that basis, why on earth oh, would yeah. you not use them?
1: It was a financial success. It was a um, critical critically acclaimed, nominated for three o- Oscars. This was uh, Cagney's first ever nomination, um, also nominated for Best Director and Best Writing. Um, It'll be I mean, there's a Bollywood remake in the mid 90s called Ram Jan starring Shahrukh Khan. Oh, really? it's, been, it's been parodied it's... in numerous places. It's been they showed they did a bit of it in Home Alone. They've done it in Sesame Street. Most notably, obviously, you cannot forget Hail and Pace doing Angels with Big Trousers about <laughs> 35 years ago
0: i have forgotten that in fact i may not even remember. that. <laughs> sham
1: 69 one. also had a hit single a hit single in 1978 with angels dirty faces
0: yeah i mean this is the stuff of proper hardcore hollywood legends you know yeah, a yeah, film yeah. with a real reputation a real uh presence of its own it's 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 a proper movie classic of the era it's one of the one of the great gangster films yeah because it's got so much detail to it it's as well just, it's and not it's a bit
1: different, different. it's not yeah, it is yeah with any of the others you know yeah it's got something else to say absolutely There's so also a, uh, rocky sullivan's pub in new york i think we'll have to go at some point i think we should Phil. yeah absolutely
0: <laughs> what on the on the trip will we eventually go around looking at ridiculous number of, of movie <laughs> locations yeah i know I quite like the sound of that trip, I have to say. Mm. Apart from the expense, because New York's even more yeah. expensive than London, I can yeah. say. But, uh, anyway, moving swiftly on. So, mean, any more on uh, on Angels? No, from your it was time? great. I, I genuinely enjoyed it. Okay. Well, you haven't got that at number three, we now know. So, we've still yet to get an exact match. I doubt we'll have ever yeah. manage to do that. But what have you got at number three, then?
1: So, at number three, I've got what I suspect there must be your number two. The Roaring Twenties. It is indeed. <laughs> oh, I love this. This could it have is been brilliant. my one, two and three are fairly interchangeable, to yeah. be perfectly honest. On another day, this could have been my my number one. Ooh. Um I had it at number three. Um it's kind of weird because we we when you guys kind of researching this, you look at James you know, you Google James Cagney Best Films and it's all White heat, angels with dirty faces, public enemy, Yankee Doodle Dandy. Very few of them mentioned this, so I went into this film not really knowing much about oh. it, and and not really having you know thinking, oh, this is this oh, oh, this is going to be great, you know. I just went into it with an open mind, and I absolutely loved it. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. So this is the um, after world after the World War One armistice, uh, three men return back home. To America, uh, one to be a lawyer, one to be a cab driver. When I mean, that fails, um, into more nefarious <laughs> employment, and yes. the other one to be a bootlegger. And that's obviously Humphrey Bogart's character, as the bootlegger. Yeah. James Cagney is the cab driver, um, and the lawyer is uh, hmm, what, oh, remember, Jeffrey, is Lynn, as Lo- Jeffrey oh, yeah. Lynn as Lloyd. Jeffrey Lynn Hart. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, now this is yeah. It's it's a yeah, It's a fantastic film because it's another one that kind of goes through the years. It it starts off with them in the trenches in World War One, and then kind of goes through the twenties and into the thirties, and and goes through all the main like sort of historical events that happened there, and they're kind of woven into the story. And it's just really interesting following these three characters and the relationships between them and other people who are in their kind of orbits. Um, most notably uh, so you've got the love interest uh, the, uh, Priscilla Lane plays Gene Sherman but you've also got a very interesting character called Panama Smith who's a kind of singer yes. in a nightclub played yeah. by Gladys George who, great, replaced, great who
0: Yeah,
1: I mean she replaced Anne Sheridan who replaced Lee Patrick who replaced Glenda Farrell as Panama Smith I had trouble casting that one
0: but That's yeah just the way with these things it uh, happened a lot in that era
1: yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the film spans a period between 1919 um, um, and 1933. Yeah. Um, it's based on a short story. Um, you get to see, as I mentioned, prohibi- prohibition, stock market crash. Um, it was it was Cagney's last gangster film for a decade, I think, and um, after he made this. He was, he was like, t- t- by heat, I think. He said, that's it. I'm done with, done with that. I'm going to go off and make Yankee Doodle Dandy and Love me or leave me with Doris Day or whatever and all that kind of other stuff. Um, and it's just a genuinely interesting, good film. It's not quite as, I mean, it is gritty and violent, but it's not quite as much as maybe some of the other films that we've kind of already mentioned. Um, it's the last film where it, quite interestingly, where Cagney, um, his character, um, the violence in his character was explained by his upbringing um after that he he his more violent characters were more attached to sort of mania and mental instability
2: yeah especially which in is White the interesting thing
1: yeah yeah, yeah. but it, it, it's great you get to see him kind of get darker and darker and do well out of it and not, you know not so well out yeah, of it yeah
0: this isn't a gangster film at first is it it's about him no trying to make his way, as you said, he comes out of the war. He's uh, They depict those three characters as yeah. um, as people who've who've stayed on to ma- to oversee the aftermath of the war for a period of time. So by the time they come back to New York, everyone else has already come back. Um, people have long since got... He expects his the- job
1: to be waiting for him. It's not. Exactly.
0: You know? He walks into the, into the maintenance garage, which is you a know, car garage, which is all, all he wanted to do was just be a mechanic. He said, that, that would suit me. I'll I'd, I'd be, I'd be happy as a pig in mud or whatever. And and that job's not available. And everyone's got very long in the tooth about heroes turning home. They've become very yeah. numb to that notion. And, of course, the jobs aren't there. So he becomes, as you said, a cab driver. And I think that's quite interesting. I mean, that tells you a lot about um, social yeah. situations of the time. Again, it, it depicts the very heart of... 20th century america for me is an interesting historical oh, period definitely. i think more more than most i think it's it that microcosm of of the of the world's history that 100 year period particularly the first half of that century uh is is i think um r- just ripe for picking really it's there's so much yeah. in there, so much detail you've got the great, you've got the great depression you've got prohibition you've got the two wars, obviously, and their part in that. You've got um, gangster culture, you've got the jazz uh, age, yeah, you've definitely. got flappers, you've got so much going on. Uh, Broadway, um, obviously the, the genesis of the film and theater industries continuing, particularly the film industry. And later on in the in the decade, obviously uh, in the century, you've got TV as well, yeah. all that, that brings. So I find this era fascinating anyway. The roaring twenties, as we said, it's not just about gangster stuff. He he ends up in the gangster world, but he doesn't start off in that. He wants to just no, do. No, he's job. kind of forced into it. Yeah, he's forced into it because people keep turning him down. You know, times are hard, and uh, essentially, there's a lot of
1: money, lot of money to be made bootlegging.
0: Yeah, I mean, he starts just running running jobs, doesn't he? Just doing the yeah. transportation. He's not actually a gangster as such. He's just a petty criminal, if anything. And then, of, of course, as time moves on. He, a, he feels the necessity for it, and B, he sees the opportunity for it. And uh, I think it's a great role. Eddie Bartlett is the name of the character he plays. Yeah, yeah. As you said, Panama Smith's a really interesting character. She's an she's older fantastic. woman. Not, yeah. She's not a matriarch for him, but she's sort of like a... She straddles the line of being the next generation. But, I, I think Gullis George her. played her. I think she was basically
1: playing herself, by all accounts of what I read. Yeah. I think she also... Died fairly early with drink problem, and you know. Oh, really? Up, yeah. yeah.
0: He plays basically almost like a madam, but not for a brothel, but for a bar. You mm. know, one of those characters that everyone knows. She's yeah. Quite, um, she's quite nuanced with her language. She, she she knows how to banter with the men. Yeah. Um, she she coerces them into spending more money. She runs a good club. She runs a good operation. And she's got a heart, but she likes him, doesn't she? She likes Eddie a yeah. And she she laments the fact she knows it's not ever going to be a romance. Yeah. But they are peas in a pod. She says it, he says it at some yeah. point as well. Really good character. I love those kind of yeah, characters. It's quite
1: strange because he's, he's in love with Priscilla Lane's character, who's in yeah. love with his lawyer friend. Yeah. And yeah. Like when he has to explain to him that they're going off to get married, he just, you know. Yeah, that's right. He's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's really good. There's a really good scene where he punches the lawyer, doesn't he? When he ca- They've been trying to t- tell him for ages. They don't do it. He finds them walking in the street together, punches. Um, there's one punch, and then it uh, it doesn't go beyond that. It just yeah. it stays. as. I, th- I think, again, it could have gone off in a very tedious, very obvious yeah. um, path, and it doesn't because, again, it's tight direction, really well done. Yeah, directed by um, Raoul Walsh, yeah yeah and this, this, yeah. this is the other film that's got the bobble song in it by the way yes oh, okay i've now remembered yes yeah right i've got to let this bloody cat out <laughs> who um i should now explain if you're hearing a meowing noise it is not me but don't do that while uh while only talking. a weekends. Oh, only a weekend's film yeah <laughs> um so you mentioned it starts with the war sequence, um, the fish out of water, disaffected soldier stuff, we've mentioned. Um, I was going to say that, that then after some scenes showing him trying to reintegrate, there's a montage sequence in this film as well depicting the 20s. So flappers, the Jazz Age, Prohibition, yeah. the eventual adventure. I loved all time.
1: that. It was, it, yeah, it was It's fascinating. You've got yeah. these
0: beautiful dissolve edits. It's so good, isn't it? Because they show pictures of all the glasses going in a conveyor belt and yeah. um, it, it tells you about the eventual advent of mob rule and the tommy gun as well which has just reminded me that there's there's a really funny thing in public enemy do you remember there's a scene where they blow up uh an establishment and yeah. you see it sort of front on and it's quite a big scene now they've spent a bit of money blowing up this building that pops up in two other films in montage oh, sequences okay. one of which is this the other one is probably Angels with Dirty Faces, whereas so exactly I'm assuming the same... they're all
1: Warner Brothers films.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they had stock exactly footage. the same yeah. shots. <laughs> it's quite funny. Does that cheapen it? I don't think so. It just gave me a wry smile when yeah, I saw yeah, that. Yeah. But yeah, you've got the you've got the other catchphrase: "Hey, big and good looking," which is what James Cagney <laughs> says to basically anyone. He says it to his male yeah. mates as well. Um, there's a documentary uh, on the DVDs You've probably seen on the box set. Um, there's a guy called Mark Hellinger, uh, who was a crime beat reporter, who mixed with gangsters, and then he created the original yeah, story, short story this, for, for Warner's. Yeah. And he's on the documentary on the DVD, which is quite interesting. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I bet he must from,
1: have been getting on a bit by
0: then. He was, I think. Yeah, he must have been at that stage. Uh, well, I think it was a, I think it was a historical interview, but it was still quite yeah, a bit oh, okay. after the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but. I mean, it's Scorsese's on that documentary as well, and I love listening to Scorsese talking about film. Oh, he loves I, film, and he loves games he, he, film. He's a, he's a true—he's
1: um, a proper nerd, isn't he? Let's be surf. honest. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. And I think he's got a bit wayward with, with his later stuff. We'll talk about him at some point, obviously in general. But I—I I, so addictive to listen to when he's talking about film. Yeah. I don't think anyone embraces and loves and adores films mm. as much as him. Oh, maybe Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino would be the only yeah. other person I'd mention, yeah. Basically, Tarantino is just the, the, the follow-up to Scorsese, isn't he? Scorsese yeah. in this documentary says, this is his most sympathetic role, as he's a good guy who has no choice, which we we mentioned yeah, yeah. At the earlier, that has to resort to bootlegging and eventually full-on gangster mode. And I think that that's essentially what this character is. So I think this film depicts... Maybe a, a psyche, maybe a characteristic of uh, the American way. You could you look back to the westerns that we talked about before. Yeah. Westerns, it's about doing what's necessary, not what you want to do, but what you need to do to survive.
1: Yeah,
0: make your way in the in the American, the early Americas.
1: No, I think this and I, and Angels of Dirty Faces as well has just got just some of the best characters to work you know yeah. it's not cardboard cut out you know the the mum or the sister or the wife or the girlfriend they're all incredibly complicated interesting characters and it's yeah. just fascinating to watch them bounce off each other yeah and
0: speaking of the americana element um i think there's three great great inventions from america and again we're talking about the 20th century here well we kind of are yeah. Westerns which do go back to the century before but yeah. I think were were made really what they are in the twentieth century. You've got the yeah. jazz age and all of the influence that jazz has had over soul and everything else has gone since yeah. and blues as well before it. And then you've got gangster films. Those yeah. are this those are the most American genres. Jazz, gangster films and westerns. Um, yeah. or not not even just films, is it? Actually. yeah yeah um western West, c- world West yeah. you know all that stuff um and they're they're in their elements americans making films on those subjects are in their elements and i think they're really in their element here it's absolutely fantastic yeah. cinema and if you haven't seen it why hell not
1: so um, <laughs> empire magazine british magazine they did a 20 greatest gangster movies you've never
0: seen this was number one and i really can't disagree with that yeah yeah Yeah, well, yeah, because I think, because it's called The Roaring Twenties, anyone looking for gangster films, maybe they wouldn't think it's a gangster film. There's that. Maybe it's overlooked in general. I think it's probably underrated, definitely, Um, even though it's a well-known film of his. Um, I think it's one worthy of revisits for anyone that's uh, of a certain age that hasn't seen it or that of a certain age that has. I think it's worth another look. I loved watching these films again. Um, And... I just think in terms of all the directors that James Cagney worked with and particularly here, Ral Walsh, who of course also did White Heat, which I've got a feeling we might be about to talk about. We're going to have the
1: same, we're going to have the same number one and we're going to have the same top
0: five. Yeah. yeah.
1: That doesn't happen very often.
0: Ral Walsh is brilliant, by the way. I I love Ral Walsh. He's got, oh, I think I deleted, I had a note about him. He was, he's a real character. Um, he's one of those guys, there was one or two of them in American uh early cinema who had an eye patch and they were Mavericks. You've got you've oh, got okay. you've got Sam Fuller, you've got Ral Walsh, and you've got a few others like that who are proper old school, very macho, very
2: yeah,
0: all American male, crazy kind of characters um of the American filmmaking world. Ral Walsh was absolute nuts, I think. He was a, a real Eccentric, and uh, oh, okay, he, he knew how to make a film. And yeah, he did the
1: shorty blonde, I think, with Cagney as well. Yeah,
0: that that was it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah he yeah. did that. And and White Heat, as we he was just alluded yeah. to. Okay, so anyway, so uh, that was my lost track here. That was my number, uh, two. my two. number three. Yes,
1: so basically, we got the top five, but we've got our two and threes muddled around the other yes. way. Both got White Heat at number one, which is no
0: surprise to anyone. Do you- just to clarify, your number two was Angels of Dirty Faces. Yeah, it's, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. So White Heat at number one then, Phil. We might as well go straight into that unless you need a break.
1: No, definitely. White Let's Heat. The story of a psychopathic criminal with a mother complex who makes a daring break from prison and leads his old gang in a chemical plant payroll heist. Yeah. So James Cagney is Arthur Cody Jarrett. Uh, Virginia Mayo is Verna Jarrett. And... Uh, Margaret, literally as Mar, Jarrett, his mum.
0: And then there's, yeah. No, yeah, no. so the Mar- other mother. Other
1: people in the game.
0: The mother character, again, we've had, you know, you you look at from, from film in the past, and Scorsese actually comes into this, Mar Baker and those sort of, those matriarch figures who are tough gangsters. Yeah. And here you've got one of those again. We haven't got the Mar from Public Enemy. Here you've got a hardened criminal mother she's uh, he, he's oh, very yeah. much very much the product of her loins in one sense in terms of so she's yeah
1: so it's ba- she's based on an actual person isn't she? so virginia keller wrote the this, this story adapted um, and it's based on the true story of Mar Barker, but then Cagney kind of changed it and wanted to kind of go in his own but way. Was that Mar, Mar Baker? Mar Barker. is it? Oh, I've, written, I've written Mar Barker in my notes, but I'm presuming Ooh, I wonder if that's the same. I think that might be yeah, the same. Yeah, it might be the same person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, again, it's it But, yeah, this is culture. a proper tour de force. This is Cagney. So, he... he um, after he won an Oscar for Yankee Doodle Dandy uh, back in 1942, he left Warner Brothers to form his own production company, with his manager and brother william and then have four box office flops on the trot <laughs> and so he kind of had to go back to uh, warner brothers as he needed the money but he never forgot all the hell that they kind of put him through when he was 1930s when he was like renewing his contract and jack warner hated him and um, this was very very much his comeback film he didn't want to make any more gangster films Um, he didn't want to be typecast and known as the guy who did gangster films but his box office draw was in decline and he needed a hit and he went back and did kind of teamed up with Raoul Walsh who I don't think Cagney I think don't think Cagney wanted it wanted Raoul Walsh but they, they brought him back and uh they made this
0: absolute monster of a film together,
1: let's be perfectly honest.
0: It's it's an absolutely incredible film. I, as if you thought *Angel of the Dirty Faces, Roaring Twenties and, and The Public Enemy weren't punchy and, and good enough in the gangster genre. Here he is, reluctantly coming back. Well, as he's said, properly t-
1: unhinged in this film. He's full um, on Travis Bickle, isn't he? Yeah, know? this is... He's, you know, he's, not, he's not hammy or showboating. No. He's playing a genuine psychopath.
0: Yeah. And it's brilliant. And it is described in the trailer. I don't know if you've seen the, the original no, no, trailer. No. It says the most monstrous or menacing character ever committed to screen or something. Yeah, they tended to overblow those trailers a lot back in the yeah. day. To be honest, early trailers are not my favourite subject, no. um, I have to say. But it was quite interesting that they really picked up how edgy this character was. And here we are beyond the, the Hayes Code, and we we're into that era, and yeah, it, this is he's ten got,
1: years since his last since
0: Angels of Death yeah. basis. I think, and it's as, well as if remember. he's as it's as if he's had ten years of bottled up gangster. Yeah, and he, yeah. And he
1: he's, he's he's about fifty by this point.
0: Yeah, yeah, like, he lets it like, all uh, out. 50. He's edgier, He's a bit older. There's some brutal, ruthless scenes at the beginning where he kills people. Yeah, because on the they've train. Made, yeah, they have made the mistake of his, his gangster mates of mentioned his name, and then to top it all off, the um, the guys on the train are being held up and Make the mistake of making a point of saying they've remembered his name. Bad mistake. They get killed. That's right at the beginning. Yeah, and that, but that serves the purpose of telling you this guy is ruthless. He's gonna he's gonna kill you in cold blood, just because they might reveal who you are. And there's a lot of interesting stuff around forensics and undercover operations here, isn't there? Because they discover the early days of it yeah, yeah. through some early versions of forensics, the equivalent now of fingerprinting and all that stuff. Yeah. They, they 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 trace and match and um, I think some traces of the bullet powder or something. Don't they? I, I can't remember what they do, but they they discover that this matches that, so they know it's him. Then they're trying to pursue him, so it becomes a chase scene, a uh, sequence. Yes. Really, they're in a hideout, and the police are on their tracks. Um, there's an undercover guy in prison who's a- charged with the pur- purpose of. Yet again, to his to his chagrin, going into jail as an un- undercover criminal, yeah. make friends with him, protect him from a couple of people trying to kill him, um, yeah. who are rival gang associates, and well, sort of his gang's associates. Sorry, rivals within the yeah. gang, and um, keep him alive and discover what he's done, who he is, where he's going, what, what the plan is. So you've got this cop, you've got this undercover scenario. As you said, he's probably unhinged. Um, he's got a mother complex. His mother is an overbearing figure. Yeah. And
1: she's, and she's, she's there, you know, yeah, she's, she's a one of the main characters.
0: characters. And she's, yeah, yeah. She's, she's a proper major role in this. Margaret uh, Woodchill, I think her name is. Um, she's a great character actor. She's apparently a Shakespearean actress. Oh, okay. A load of stuff. Yeah. And she was in a film as a, again, a similar figure in an earlier film. I can't remember what it's called. So she's got some form in this yeah. regard. And she's great in the role and she's bumped off. You don't see the scene, but it becomes obvious that the the ambiguous muse that we mentioned earlier in white heat
2: yeah. um,
0: as essentially having an affair with um Cagney's rival within the gang um she seems to be a bit ambiguous about the whole thing yeah. she appears to have killed the mother um that's what's been told yeah and then um the there's a whole load of double crossing going on as well. She's playing up to Cagney. She's playing up to the other guy. There's all sorts of shit going on here. But on top of it all, as you said, um, Cody is a completely unhinged character. He's having he's had some fits since he was younger. They've got worse. He basically yeah, has yeah. what I think would be panic attacks. Major. Oh well, yeah, and he
1: get he also gets these migraines and yeah, he kind of you know he's sort of. The pain kind of overtakes him, but it's never explained. It's it's all a bit, of, you know, it's all a bit of a mystery. You know, it, it leaves the audience to draw its own conclusions. Yeah, some people suggest it suffering. might be
0: epilepsy. Even but I don't think it's really what I would call epilepsy, but it's a very physical reaction that he has. He flails and around. At one point, he just. There's one pal- bit with
1: where he's, where he's where there's there's I think it was, they quite a lot of it again was improvised, particularly the prison bit. But the one scene where he's. Falls off the chair and his gun fires off. I think that was improvised as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And also in the prison, he panics and he climbs across a load of tables, knocks a load of stuff around, and there's four or five guards carrying him out. Apparently there was a lot of focus around that scene. There was some real improv improv stuff going on. I don't know what made the final cut, but in that, again, it looks very much like you could call it epileptic almost in terms of the the yeah. flailing around of the arms but there's something that feels a bit more mental uh, in terms of you know he's just unhinged and he's uh he's not at peace with himself in terms of he he he's clearly worried about having these panic attacks because it shows him as weak yeah. it shows him as vulnerable yeah. and yet he can't stop them no. and
1: that julius caesar thing because he yeah. Yeah, he has that yeah
0: yeah it's, exactly and in the final scene which i'm we'll get on to talk about in a minute. You can see it's come back to some degree in that final yeah. scene as well, hasn't it? He's kind of acting. He's able to function. But you can see at the back of his head, he's he's half taken by it again.
1: And talking about catchphrases, the final line of the film.
0: Made it, Ma, top of the world. Yeah, because in this film, he and his mom, Ma, uh, interactions. They keep talking about being top of the world, whatever yeah. that means. Aspiring to be top of the, the criminal world, uh, the American dream world. I don't know what world that is but they keep referring to it and yes that's clearly completely indelibly linked in his mind to achievements and so when he yeah they have a scene where they try to do a raid some kind of power plant that's a highly inflammable um, yeah, the chemical plant, isn't it? Yeah. chemical plant um because there's a load of wages that they can nick yeah and they they, they all it all comes unstuck he goes Big shootout, to yeah yeah it's a shootout and he's on the top of this of inf- inflammable um Oh, sorry, highly flammable, um, kind of almost yeah. like a silo thing, isn't it? And th- th- that's the scene where he starts shooting. And he looks semi-demented, but also kind of almost half controlling it. And as you said, he, he comes out with a famous line, as you said. Yeah. Um, you know, I made it my top of the world. And that's the famous scene, uh, which is almost the last words of the film. And um, incredible! it's iconic. It's one of the top 20, I mean, you
1: know theme. sort of earlier cinema far better than I do, but I can't remember any kind of anything going to that sort of anti-hero psychology mm. before the 70s, really.
0: It's way, dark, like the 60s, isn't it? Or 60s, maybe, yeah. It's really dark. It's really dark, and it's really, really good. It's um, a film that I've watched documentaries on this, and there, there's lect- film lecturers and academics who've said, they constantly love to show this to their uh, their students, their graduates, whatever it might be, and they say they're always blown away with it if they don't already know it. Yeah, um, It really is so rugged, so tough, so ahead of its time. Yeah, and I was going to say that, exactly. It has to be shot. There's a great scene where they're all hiding in a tanker as well. They quote the Trojan the yeah. from Troy um, as where he starts explaining the story, and then he assumes that the audience know that, and it trails off. It doesn't. You don't bother with the rest of the details, but it's great the way the way it's um, the, the way it plays out. But the way the story goes, it's great. There's the, there's the trader character as well, isn't there? Yeah. Michael trader, who's this sort of a uh, linchpin info guy who gives some information, tips, bit of advice, some maps, maybe some some logistical input as well. And the, I, I love the way that whole story unfolds. And you also think that the undercover cop. There is a bit of a genuine affection, I think, in the end, for me. Yeah. I don't know if that's your imagination of it as well. No,
1: but I think so. Yeah, it feels so, like they're yeah.
0: into him because he can see, as I said, Cagney's characters always have, there's a little bit of good somewhere in them. And this is the most horrible of all his characters. Oh, and definitely. It, even then, even then, you have some sympathy for him. Is it because he's got these mental troubles? Is it because he's just a guy that's a product of a criminal yeah. world? from birth, you know, his mum's a criminal Yeah. Um, or what it is. I don't know, but you have a, a semblance of sympathy for him. And I think it's kind of, that's carried along by this cop character who yeah. gets to know him a bit and they're obviously interacting. Uh, he's pretending to be a crook as well. And I just think there's what I love about it is that's just there. There's a whiff of it, but it's not yeah. too much. I love that. I love Brilliant. it. Great, great film. Yeah, And that, that, amongst others, we've got to do a Golden Seagulls again soon to upgrade yeah. our uh, our uh, our listings uh, and what's, what's in there. I think all of these films are going in that film. Oh, definitely. And maybe more yeah. besides. Yeah. Do we do honorable mentions or do we have a quick break? So a
1: couple more little points on this. I don't know if you've ever seen the um, Steve Martin film, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, where yes. they use special effects and he like, acts with Cagney with bits from this film in it. It's great. It's, it's quite like that film. Um, Madonna also has a song called White Heat about this film.
0: Oh, huh? so yes. there you go.
1: Proof that she, the, the uh, Queen
0: of Pop has good taste in film. Yes, indeed. The Queen of Pop talking about the King of Gangster Films, James Cagney. Exactly. exactly. So, yeah. my top fives then are The Public Enemy, Yankee Doodle Dandy, Angels with Dirty Faces, The Roaring Twenties. And white heat at number one yours are almost the same phil they are in
1: they are they are exactly the same i had um the roaring 20s angels with dirty faces the other way around but on another day mine could match yours yeah let's be perfectly honest so yeah so talking about um other films uh, of his that i very much enjoyed we've already spoken about g-men yeah um all the films we, I mean, most of the films we've spoken about were kind of really I made in the first ten years of his, his acting career with the, with the yeah. exception of White Heat. Um, I I quite enjoyed Mr. Roberts, the yes. uh, World War 2 film that he made in the mid fifties. It's a color film. Uh, it doesn't really have much. It's a John Ford film set on a on a uh, on a on a boat in World War 2 It doesn't really have a great much of a story, but it's got. Jack Lemon and Henry Fonda, um, and it's it's just one of these films where nothing really happens. You just watch the characters bounce off each other. I really enjoyed yeah, it's, that.
0: It's a great film. Yeah, I love that. Yeah,
1: um, when we did Billy Wilder, we probably, I'm sure, we must have mentioned one, two, three. <laughs> we did, yeah. that the, the, uh, I think it's one of the last films we did before we retired about yeah. the uh, Coca-Cola marketing guy in uh, in
0: um, in uh, Germany. Yeah, I Matt oh, I enjoyed that. Who's charged with looking after making teen Scarlet, daughter of his boss Mr. Hazeldine, over which uh, a, a key promotion yes. is resting. And um, Scarlet do fun. actually make literally make a joke about Gone with the Winds in yes. this as well. It's quite funny. Um, German and Russian caricatures are not great by today's standards, and the Southern state lampoonishness for that matter as well, because the boss and the daughter are from the south. Yeah. So there's a lot of depicting of the South versus North stuff. But it's, got, it's a good, fun film. It's a screwball comedy, isn't it? We talked yeah, about yes, yeah. screwball comedies and Billy, it's Wild Billy Wilder. It's Billy Wilder, yeah. It's very pro-capitalist and very communist scornful, is the way I would describe it.
1: Yeah. Um, he plays. It's weird seeing him in a comedy role yeah. uh, after seeing him in so many gangster films. But he does and very, very, very well. it's very
0: punchy. It's very physical, yeah. isn't it? Because he's on his feet a lot. He's snapping his fingers and giving... Barking out orders to all, all yeah. of the, all of his um, underlings. Um, it's uh, it's flawed, certainly by today's standards, but a good yarn, I think, with punchy, fast-paced dialogue and storyline, which you would imagine with yeah. any screwable comedies. And um, there's, lo- lo- there's loads of jokes in there. We mentioned Scarlet Gone with the Wind. There's a reference to Spartacus in there, which is interesting, which was only, I think, a year earlier. That I was yeah, made. yeah, that's
1: good, yeah. Uh, the so country three is black and white, whereas Spartacus is colour, yeah.
0: Exactly, yeah. Um, psycho around that time that 1960 was, uh, black and yeah, white as well. But there's a cuckoo clock in this as well yes. with a Yankee Doodle Dandy character comes out. So again, it's a, <laughs> a very knowing nod. It ends with a Pepsi gag as well. They get some, some drinks out of, um, uh, out of a, a vending machine. Uh, kind of r- by the runway at this airport. I don't know yeah. if there really would be a drinks machine so close to the runway. But anyway, it ends with a Pepsi joke that he's a Coca-Cola guy and, you know, he stares at the screen and goes, what's this, you know? Um, the, the heavy on music, all, all of the films have. We've mentioned i Forever Blowing Bubbles. We've mentioned the Yankee Doodle Dandy stuff. Yankee Doodle Dandy has two variations on the English National Record. The British national anthem as well. Yes, they 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 kind of twist it into an American tune. In this film, one one two three, they've got Valkyries and the Saber March. You know, oh yeah, of
1: course, yeah, yeah.
0: So it's quite punchy, very fast paced. Yeah, it's not. It's it's dated in some ways, but Billy Wilder is a master of the art. He's great. Sorry, I wanted to give a bit more honourable mention no, to that No, 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 definitely. I didn't mention it much when we talked about Billy Wilder actually. Yeah, um, no, but...
1: I can't remember how much we yeah. mentioned
0: it. It's a good yeah. film, it's a good film. Yeah. Over to you again, Phil. Um
1: So yeah, um they were the main ones that I I, I would definitely recommend viewing. And then I watched another couple of other films that I quite enjoyed. Um Each Dawn I Die it was a film from nineteen thirty-nine where you a reporter. Um, who was falsely in prison as a corrupt DA. I enjoyed that. Um City for Conquest, where he plays a boxer yep. from nineteen forty. That was a good one. We briefly mentioned earlier the Strawberry Blondes, rom-com that's a Rare Walsh one from nineteen forty one. He definitely that those first ten years he managed to fit a lot of films
0: into him Yeah. I yeah. mentioned Footlight footlight parade and that's 1933 another one of the musical yes. numbers a uh, picture snatcher is good from the same year okay, and the millionaire it, the millionaire is the one that i either. forgot which is the one that got him the role in the public enemy okay uh, was um from the same year 1931 um so it, it didn't take him long to get that role there was a yeah. very rapid last minute switch um lady killer's good as well g-men we mentioned as you said a midsummer night's dream actually he has well, a very I'm, small part in that, hasn't he? He plays Puck, doesn't he? Yeah. Like, I haven't, I haven't seen it. He but he is in it a great time. deal. Yeah. Not for a long time. And Mutiny on the Bounty. One, one of that's them, another one I he think. had
1: a very small part in as well, yeah. I think. Yeah.
0: yeah, but honourable I Mace didn't really, quite, unless
1: he was kind of headline bidding, I didn't really.
0: No, that's that's yeah. fair enough, yeah, and no, I agree yeah. with you. Yeah, I don't think you can really give them for cameo roles, can you? But no. those were all good. Mr. Roberts, you mentioned, Man of a Thousand Faces was good.
1: That's um, that's the one where he plays Lou Cheney, isn't oh, it? The, um, yeah, movie Lon, Lon Cheney.
0: yeah, Lon Cheney. Lon Cheney, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and Ragtime, which was 1981, which is, I think, yeah. the last of his well-rated films. Yes, I think. that was his um, last film, I, yeah. I haven't seen it, to be honest. So there we go so that's that right um while well, while you're on the, the zoom call here i'm just going to quickly disappear from view for a moment while i just see if anybody has sent any uh, any uh, emails in or messages with their own top 5 so james cagney let's see what we've got is there anything in here probably nothing actually because i sent it quite late in the day <laughs> um but i'm just quickly scrolling through i mean i'd imagine if anybody does pick anything it's probably likely to be the same sort of snuff, isn't it because I would have thought so, yeah, as i said it it's almost as if it does feel to me as if somehow um it's almost as if he i can't help having this nagging feeling that he's he's not been used as well as he could have been, I think he had so much quality, so much those the first ten
1: years he did everything, and then if you look at what he did between sort of nineteen forty two and 1952, it's, apart from White Heat, there's nothing, and yeah, you know,
0: well, Yankee Doodle Dan did the beginning of that. There's nothing, I mean, there's nothing like the output that he had in the 30s. But um, also, I've got to, got to say that um a friend of the show, John, who you know, John from Southwick, yeah. um, he said the one that she did with Lacey was my favourite <laughs> Cagney and Lacey. Sorry, terrible <laughs> joke. And apparently, the same joke was made by Ian Davis from Hampshire. Um... Deep heat, is soothing. <laughs> deep heat is a soothing film I quite enjoy. <laughs> and then you're thinking <laughs> of Deep Throat, says somebody else. I think we, we need to say no more on that. My friends are already completely unreliable in every other way. Um, yeah, so that, that's pretty much it. But, I mean, we all know that, that they're all classics. The, the main ones are are absolutely superb and I recommend if you haven't seen any of them, please do because they are cracking, cracking films. Definitely. Um, yeah, and that brings us on to the next subject, Phil. Yes. So on our next one, we haven't done one for a while. It felt overdue, and I think it it is the time to do our next music related. Yes, pod. they've been a bit we've more. Done the 50s, we've done the fifties.
1: We've done the sixties, haven't we? We normally do one annually,
0: roughly. So yeah. I think we we do the seventies. Yeah, and they're they're a bit eclectic, but they've been quite popular. People like them. They yeah, want to brilliant. see them more. And um let's do the seventies. I mean, there's not there's nothing famous from the seventies, is there music wise. You know, I I can't think of anything at all, Phil, can you? Well, Star Wars <laughs> Extensive research about <laughs> Anything
1: by Joe <Joan> Carpenter. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you've got you've got the Godfather, you've got the Exorcist, yeah, you've got Star Wars, exactly. you've got Taxi Driver, you've got goodness knows what else. I'll have to have a think about I'll it.
1: Have to, oh, we'll have to put a of think, think into that. Yeah. Rocky.
0: We also, we also <laughs> mentioned the Golden Seagulls. After we do that one, probably the one after that will be a Golden Seagulls update where yeah, we'll summarise we everything that. we've done since the last Golden Seagulls episode. Maybe throw in a couple of modern, absolutely genuinely newer, newer films. Um, you know, your Pan's Labyrinth or your yeah. Paris or something like that. And put those into the equation as well. And let's um, see what we come up with. But on the next one, it will be films of the nineteen seventies. Ladies, gentlemen, boys, and girls, watch as many seventy films as you can in the next month or so, and we'll be back to talk about it when we when we come back. Any further business to uh, discuss, Phil? Before we wrap? No,
1: no, no. I thank you for uh, introducing me to James Cagney.
0: Oh, I love. I, I love thoroughly
1: it. enjoyed it, and I should have done it earlier.
0: Yeah, I, I love him, I love him. And we've got to do gangster films in, in another... Um, we might have to do them
1: by kind of genre or decade or something yeah,
0: like that. Yeah, because you've got the John Darfield films, you've got Edward G. Robinson with Little Caesar and all that stuff as well. Uh, there's so much, so much. And the film noir's, of course, as well. But you haven't just got
1: American ones. I like all the Heroic Bloodshed Hong Kong gangster films are great as well. Or Inferno oh, yeah, Affairs talking... and stuff
0: like that, you know. That's got to be a separate category, hasn't it, I suppose? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah. yeah well phil it's been a pleasure as always thank you thank everybody. you very much check us out if you want to on social media phil what's the facebook thing can you remember it yeah
1: film fives
0: um easy yeah, to remember fives, yeah and we've got um two twitter accounts oh, I yeah they to... are,
1: well, i haven't used one much recently because twitter's kind of a bit weird but as you obviously know or
0: x as it's now called x yeah, but, yeah we are
1: available yes
0: <laughs> uh so yeah check us out on there and please do give us your your top fives either on social media um, or if you know us, send us a message on uh, WhatsApp or text um, when we'll do our our top five scores of the 1970s on our next episode. Stay tuned for that. Phil, it's been a pleasure as always, sir. And so, cut!
2: Cheers!